to the podcast with Suzanne and Amy, brought to you by Homeschool Life Magazine. I'm Suzanne. And I'm Amy. And this is episode 14, recording on February 1st, 2019. So Happy New Year, Amy. Happy New Year, Suzanne. It's lovely to be back, isn't it? It's lovely to be back podcasting with you. It is. It has been a long time. I had to do my lonely little episode (laughs) 13.5 without you. You did so great. I had a cold. Thank you for stepping in. Thank Um, you. Yes, I would like to take this opportunity to point out that, look, Suzanne is here. She is alive and healthy. (laughs) I have not had her locked in my basement for all these months. Yeah, we've had podcast listeners come by the Academy, right? To see, oh, look, they do exist. That was kind of thrilling. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. listeners in real life. Listeners in real—they do exist. We they exist. do, and of they course, exist. then that makes you feel guilty because they're like, "Oh, we love your podcast. When are you going to record a new one?" And we kind of have to hide behind the desk and look a embarrassed. Bit. A little bit, That's but now, first. now is the answer. Now is the answer, and we just want to say a big thanks so much to our Patreon supporters. We have a really exciting thing. We have a, a Patreon at patreon.com slash homeschool life and we have some supporters and really it's thanks to you guys that we're back so thank you so much and if you'd like to become a supporter please check that out for us um yeah we're glad to be back we missed it yes definitely so now that we've got the business out of the way (laughs) Shall we, we were trying to figure out what to talk about for the homeschool section of our first podcast back. And so you have to picture us at lunch and we've got our list and our notes because we're both, um, I don't know, what's the word? <laughs> Listy, I think. Listy. We're both into lists and we're running through the list and all these ideas and oh, like, you know, you know, Amy would have an idea and I'd be like, oh, that's a great idea. We should do that. And then she's like, ah, oh, but I need to do some more research on it. I want to do some reading and, and know what I'm talking about. And then I'd have an idea and she'd be like, well, we should talk about that. And I'm like, yeah, but I'd have to like know what I was talking about. I have to. So anyway, what we ultimately came up with was, hey, maybe we should ask you guys what you would like to hear us talk about, because that's easier than us figuring out for ourselves, apparently. Yes. Well, I think we just need that momentum, right? We need to get back into the podcast groove. And part of that (laughs) is we feel unsettled about what we should talk about, what's actually interesting for other people to listen to and not- And what did we talk talk about about. before? I'm sure some of this we talked about before. (laughs) And I don't know. It was a long time ago. We can't go back and listen to things because then we'll just shrivel up and and, in embarrassment. And um, yeah. So- So we had some ideas, and we're going to kind of throw them out there, and we would love uh, you guys to let us know if one of them sounds like something you'd like to hear about on a future podcast, or if you have another great idea. We are always excited to get a great idea from somebody else. (laughs) Yes. So what was one of your ideas, Amy? Well, one thing that I've become really interested in in the last couple of years since my husband started a school, and I I teach a lot of high schoolers and I help a lot of high schoolers on a daily basis, one thing I'm really interested in is how executive function fits into the whole homeschool scenario, right? Because executive function, I'm sure you know, is just the way that you manage things, right? It's the way that you deal with all the stuff on your to-do list. How do you get it done? How do you organize your stuff? How do you remember what's due when? And I find 
But some homeschoolers seem to have a natural gift for it. They're just so good at executive function stuff. But the majority of people I run into, there's a real learning curve. Executive function skills are something that they have to learn and something that they have to work on. And I I know personally in my homeschool, that isn't something I stressed a lot. Now that my daughter's in high school, I find that I'm trying to make a big point out of doing it more because I see how important it is. But it isn't something I thought, oh, I need to teach my kids how to make a homework checklist. Well, and I think some of it can seem can seem very commonsensical, especially if you are like Amy and I, and we are already obsessed with to-do lists. It can feel like like even how do we talk about it, right? Isn't it obvious? Isn't it? Isn't some of these things, um, you know, even the very basic things? Uh, how how do we even talk about it? Um, so yeah, we've been working on that a lot in, at the school and trying to figure out how to help various students. And so that's something that every homeschooler is going to need, even if it's not something that you need right now in your homeschool life. At some point, you're going to take a class or have a job or go off to college or whatever. And um, if we can help them learn those skills, then they'll be ahead of the game, which right. is which is strange to think about, but I think true. And it is, it's surprisingly difficult to find good resources for learning executive function. There's a lot of stuff about why it's important and why you should help your child learn it. But tips for actually learning how to do it, actually helping someone learn how to do it, are few and far between. Yeah. Yeah. So we thought we could, we could come up with some. (laughs) (laughs) And we've tried some things that have worked really well with students. And we've tried some things that have been colossal failures with students. So we can talk to you about both sides of that too. That's right. That's right. So that was one, one idea that we had, um, something else that we're trying to do in the school more often and with our homeschool students is more project-based learning, which, um, Amy has done a lot of research and I just like to glom onto her for that. Um, and I know that for homeschooling, that's a very obvious thing. A lot of people come into homeschooling because they love project-based learning and they want to do more of it, but I love writing things down. I mean, if you give me a bunch of project ideas, I'm always going to take the one that involves an essay. I'm never going to take the one that involves building a model or making an art portfolio. So I can forget that there's all these other great options out there and also can forget that the goal, I mean, sometimes the goal is to help our kids learn to write an essay, but sometimes the goal is to help them engage with the book or with this historical event or something um, in a way that's going to work much better for them than, um, than just writing the essay or just doing whatever might come first to me naturally. Because if your goal, for instance, and my goal in literature is often synthesis, often I want students to be able to compare two texts, right? That's an important piece to me of studying literature at a higher level. And I find that some students do great expressing that in essays, but some students really get it and they understand it and they have great ideas, but an essay doesn't turn out to be the way that is most effective for them to express what they know. Right. And, and it turns out to, it's something that they, maybe if it's super, if it's something they associate with, they don't enjoy it at all, 
you know, the idea of having to write an essay to express that can suck all the joy out of whatever experience is you're having. Um, and one of my favorite uh, kind of different assignments that you had that I'm totally stealing for, for my classes is uh, making what the playlist? A song yes. List. Yeah. I love the literary soundtrack project. I think it's great because I think, I mean, I know that certainly when I was a teenager, music was incredibly important in my experience yes. of the world. And so it's only logical to connect that to literature. Right. And of course, they, they that way we can learn about what the, the young hip people are listening to right. today, which is also. I'm so proud when I can identify the song that they're talking about. I, I am. I, I can't deny that. If it's not Hamilton, I'm pretty much lost. <laughs> Although sometimes it is Hamilton, so that's okay. <laughs> Your husband, though, Philip, is like the hipster mu- musician. Doesn't he do the sound for all the cool bands that come to Atlanta? I read I his Facebook say, feed, and I I'm like, I wouldn't say the the cool bands, but yeah, <laughs> cooler than we are, Suzanne. Let's be. Oh uh, well, it. that's 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 a really really low bar. Um, <laughs> I think with project based learning too. It's one of those things that seems really easy to do when you have a kid in kindergarten or third grade. Right. Right. But when you get to middle school, and especially when you get to high school, it can be harder to figure out ways to incorporate that into your routine. What are yes. the alternatives to a high school essay? Because you want that level of critical thinking, critical reading, critical analysis. So how do you get that outside of an essay? I think that's a really fun question to ask. Right. And, and to also just to remember that, yes, you can do those things side by side while you are loading up on some of the skills that you feel are necessary for your high schooler out in the world. Ooh, um, which brings us to another one of the topics that we were talking about. Remember, we were saying, what about the eat your vegetables approach to homeschooling? Right. Like, so that's the flip side of the project based. Remember, let's think of some fun ways to do it is like, okay. There are some things that are not fun, but that I think are really, really important in in learning and, and sending our kids out well-prepared. And I think as homeschoolers, these can be the hardest things to do, right? right. Um, if your teacher in the school is looking your kid in the face and saying, I'm sorry, you just have to learn these, these times tables. You have to learn the multiplication tables backwards, forwards inside out and I don't care. And that just means drill and too bad, you know, that's one thing. But when you're the mom dealing or the dad dealing with a uh, screaming child, (laughs) I'm thinking back to my own experiences. (laughs) Um, There are certain things I think, and it's stuff like the drill, stuff like the memorization, um, sentence diagramming uh, that I really struggled with uh, answering the question, is this worth the pain and suffering? I mean, I don't want to exaggerate it, but it's, it's not fun sometimes to do some of this stuff. Um, and so there are certain things on that list that I've come back around to think, yes, they are important. They are worthwhile. They are worth finding a way to bring them into your routine. Right. Right. Um, and if you're really, if, if you and your child, whatever it is, if you're locking heads, uh, maybe bring in a tutor, maybe bring somebody else in. But really, it's going to, if you leave these out, it might lead to other problems later on. Right. And I think this is a place where we as homeschoolers can 
work on being kind to each other because not everyone has the same opinion about what is important for their student to learn, right? We don't Absolutely. all come to the table Absolutely. with the same priorities. And I know that one thing that I try, I am an academic homeschooler. I'm, I think I'm a relaxed academic homeschooler, but there are skills I want my child to learn. But one thing that I try to do as a homeschool parent out in the world is to take seriously people who don't do that, right? To take unschoolers Absolutely. seriously. And I don't oh. always feel that that's reciprocated. I, I do feel that you get a lot of pushback sometimes from people who don't make the choice to be academic homeschoolers who can be kind of belittling or insulting toward people who, who do make that choice. And both choices are totally valid. That entire spectrum of choices is totally valid. Kids learn what they need to learn and parents choose the way that works best for their kids. And I just feel like we can really be kinder to each other in that world. I think we, we tend to get really defensive whichever side we're on. And I'd like to see a kinder, yeah. gentler homeschool world where we support each other's choices. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and right now I think everybody needs all the kindness they can get. Right, <laughs> right. more and kindness. And we are always in a, uh, we're in a, a position where we're uniquely able to support each other. Even if we come from different sides of the homeschool world, we're all, you know, we have to answer the same questions. Like we have to answer, um, hey, how are you going to get your homeschooler into college? Uh, and maybe the answer is my homeschooler has no interest in college, which is a fine answer. But for a lot of us, that is the big transition that we kind of see coming up in the future and that maybe we are trying really hard not to think about because we don't know how to deal with college applications for homeschoolers in 2019. Right. We don't have to agree about how to homeschool our kids to be a huge, great support network for each other. And I, right. I know I rely on the other moms I know who homeschool even just like to say, okay, you're not crazy. Like I need someone to say that to me at least once a week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> at least. Yeah. So, so I guess between us, we do have some experience with college applications for homeschoolers and you've got that coming up for one of your own. Yes. The, my daughter is 17 this year and she's right. been homeschooled straight through since second grade. So we are doing the whole college process as homeschoolers. It's so that is something that we could talk about. But you know what? There's just one thing I want to say, and that is your student, if they want to go to college, will be able to get in somewhere and it will be okay. Yes. That's the one thing I want to say. I think that um, is the important lesson. I We worry so much about, I, mean, I don't know about you. Maybe you don't worry about that. I But I worry about it <laughs> all the time. <laughs> Especially right now, because we're we're right on the cusp of it. You know, next year is, is the year. Next year is senior year. And so we've been mm -hmm. investigating colleges and researching colleges and doing some dual enrollment stuff to practice for college. And I worry about it all the time. But I also help counsel homeschool students into college. And I shouldn't be so worried because my experience with that has been nothing but positive. Once right. students identify a college that's a good fit, the college almost always feels the same way. I haven't ever worked with a homeschooler who hasn't been able to get into college. And the truth is, I believe every homeschooler that I've worked with to get into college has actually gotten into the first choice college that they had. Well, and I think you hit on it when you said good fit. 
Right. Right. I mean, and the good fit, you know, I have to say coming, it's, it's changed so much. The, the college world, the college application world has changed so much from when I was going through the process. And I was a snob when I was 17 about name brand. I mean, I went to a state school, um, but you know, I, have I heard of this college? Does it have, does it have a direction (laughs) in its name? Is it the university of North somewhere, you know? And I think a lot of parents are still kind of carrying that over and the truth is, the best way to deal with it is to kind of throw all that out the window, right? right? And just kind of look, you're going to get um, arguably a better education at maybe a school you have never run across until your homeschooler starts looking or your student starts looking and saying, wow, this looks really interesting to me, than you would at some of these big, big, sorry, big name brand schools where they're all being taught by TAs as underclassmen anyway. Right. So I think we kind of need to bring a new attitude to the college application process. And I'm sure that you've heard of it, but I'm going to recommend the book Colleges That Change Lives. It's Mm -hmm. a terrific guide to colleges that you may never have heard of. My undergrad alma mater is in there, which, oh, Suzanne, can I... Oh, please. Can please. I say, Suzanne's daughter <laughs> might be attending my undergrad alma mater, which I'm so excited about. But- yeah, I think it's like 99.9%. <laughs> and she probably wouldn't be doing it if it because if we hadn't heard about it from my awesome from A&B, so. Well, she is a great fit for this. But that's just it. She's a great fit for the school. They would have been right. crazy not to accept her. So I, I think that's the key. And Colleges That Change Lives, which my undergrad alma mater is in, but also many, many other great small schools that could be a perfect fit for your student. I, research there is are your friend here. There are so much, to, there's so much stuff available on the internet and there's a website. See if I had done the research because we were going to do this topic. I'd know the name of the website where <laughs> it's the same kind of thing. It points you to different schools that you may not have heard of. I remember hearing one of our students at the academy saying they were looking at pictures of the campus and for the first time felt like, oh, I belong here. Those are my people. I can just see it. Yeah. And that is a very, very powerful thing, especially for kids who may be homeschooled and who may feel, be concerned, have some concerns about fitting in for whatever reason, whether it's homeschool or anything else that may be going on in their life. Um, So yeah, it's, it's, we need to maybe change our attitudes a little bit, the parents to help our kids because if you haven't noticed, and I guarantee if you have a teenager, you have, um, gosh, mental health issues, and our teens are really struggling right now. It is a um, hard time. It is bad out there. And I, you know, my kids, my older kids, uh, we homeschooled through eighth grade, and then they started going to the lo- local public high school, which has been great academically. Um, it has been terrible in terms of mental health. And that is not the fault of the school. Uh, that is that is just kind of the way things are right now. The amount of pressure on the kids to get into the right college. They feel it. You know, they feel like that's the only option and that if they don't get into, quote, the right one, unquote, their life is over. On top of that, concerns about politics, concerns about violence. The at environment. The, in the environment is a big one and it is not the same 
you know, of course, uh, kids were dealing with anxiety and depression when, um, when I was going to high school, but I have never seen anything like what I'm seeing with my kids and their friends. And it is stuff that can affect all of them, right? Some of these issues are going to particularly hard hit the kids who are going to a traditional school. But um, I know of young people, teenagers, younger than teenagers, who literally can't sleep at night for worrying about the environment. Um, and things like that, where they have no control, but it just feels like the world is crashing down on them. Well, um, I mean, I like to think that I have developed perspective over the years and the ability to think about things rationally. And, and frankly, sometimes it keeps me up at night. Right. So I certainly couldn't blame them. For oh, no, absolutely. Way. They're not wrong. It's just, you know, how do we, so how do we as parents recognize, how do we deal with it? Um, and that was something that I wanted to talk about at some point, because like I said, in our family, and I've talked to my daughter and asked her if it would be okay if we shared some of our experiences, because I feel like, you know, I have a family history of anxiety and depression. So when it started showing up with my kids, it was horrible, right? Because you don't want, that's not something you want to pass down from through the generations. But no. at the same time, I have the perspective of like, okay, I, I have an idea of what to do next. I have an idea of um, what help we can get. And also to know kind of what do you press the panic button on and what do you not necessarily press the panic button on, but, but say, okay, this is something real. This is something that we need to work on. Um, and I, I, I feel a lot for people who don't have any experience personally with that because I think it would be so so hard to have your kid come and tell you that they're or to see that they're going through something and not really have anything to gauge it by yeah I mean the good thing that the good thing in all of this is that people in the homeschool world and outside the homeschool world are finally talking about mental health with their teenagers right this yes. isn't a conversation I remember having with my parents do you absolutely not yeah yeah, and it's so it's it's more out in the world. I think kids feel more comfortable talking about it. Kids are trying to help each other, um, but the and and if you are homeschooling, you may not realize if you're homeschooling your teenagers, you may not realize how widespread it is in the community, right? In the community of kids with these ages, with the right. teenagers and and younger, middle school and up, or even even elementary school. Um, so anyway, so I think that's a, that's a topic that sure. we could all talk about. More. A great topic. I mean, I, I personally, I was in my thirties before I started taking medication for my anxiety mm -hmm. and it changed my life. I look back at my teens and my twenties and my early thirties. And I think, wow, how my life would have been different if I had just started taking this sooner. Well, you don't, you don't ever want your kids to go through, well, you don't ever want your kids to suffer, but you certainly don't want them to go through unnecessary suffering. Right. Right. And I think that's part of it too, is recognizing that, look, you can still be a functioning human and then suffering unnecessarily, right? What does me good mental health look like? And, uh, and you can keep asking for that, even if it feels like, well, you know, I'm doing okay in school and I have friends, you know, you can still need help even if you're in that situation. 
So yeah, so that's something that I think sooner or later we'll have a we'll have a podcast on that topic. Yes. Um, on my mind, though not as maybe impactful as that, is what the heck am I going to do about middle school with my son? I think middle school is just a whole big, a whole big mental health issue. Right. Middle, <laughs> middle school is, middle I just school. called it middle school. So. <laughs> Can we just go straight from elementary to high school? Can we just cut out the, the middle thing? Because even with the homeschool, even in the homeschool world, it feels stressful. Well, you know, this is, this is my plan is to try to do that, is to try to just skip middle school. My vision, my idea for doing middle school at, Obviously, I have an older daughter and a younger son. And middle school with my daughter was not that difficult because my daughter learns exactly the way that I do, which oh, is... Oh, that's so nice. It's so <laughs> nice. She reads something. She takes notes on it. She talks about it. She writes an essay on it. And it's all good and it makes sense and it works, right? I had right. no idea how much I should appreciate this as I was right, going through right. these early Well, that's years. just the way it should happen. That's just the way that everybody does it, right? I mean, come on. But my son doesn't approach anything the way that I do. He doesn't learn anything the way that I do. And middle school, it's been fine in elementary school because you do the project-based learning. You have fun. Right. You play. It's not super important. But as you move into middle school, it's like I had no idea what to do. So I, I, I was talking to Suzanne about this at lunch today, so this is not surprising to her, but I have decided to make middle school more like kindergarten. This is my goal, to make middle school like kindergarten. Right. <laughs> Which may not make sense, but I think what is the great thing about kindergarten? Everybody who goes to school likes kindergarten. Do you know anyone right. who didn't like kindergarten? Well, if they don't, something's wrong with the kindergarten. Right. And that's exactly it, because kindergarten is not so much about what you learn, but about learning to like learning, right? Right. You right. learn what school is like and that it's fun. Right. And so I'm hoping to kind of recreate some of that spirit in middle school because high school is challenging. What you learn in high school is difficult. But I think that middle school, if you treat it like the kindergarten for high school, if you treat it like a place to have fun getting ready for high school, Right. It could be great, right? It could be great, right. Suzanne. <laughs> I think that's a really, really fun idea. And I do think that middle school for homeschoolers, people who've been homeschooling through, well, first of all, we see a lot of people transition into homeschooling when their child hits middle school. Right. Right. We see that happen a lot because, you know, it's just a different world. And maybe you were able to deal with the elementary school issues, but when you hit middle school, you know, you might find that your child is just really, really not happy in the traditional school setting. So we do see a lot of people who are kind of, without necessarily having that been their life plan, you know, finding themselves in the homeschool world with a middle schooler. Um, the other thing is, if you're in the homeschool world, you know, we homeschooled all the way from the beginning. And it was about middle school when my kids really kind of got tired of hanging out with mom, right? I mean, in elementary, I mean, not all the way through elementary, but through most of elementary, they were still excited about getting to be home with mom and do things together and learn together. And really, you start hitting those middle school years, and they want a little bit more, right? They want they want more time with friends. They maybe want to see somebody else, you know, during the day that's, <laughs> that's, that's not mom or dad and their siblings. So I found that that was a time when I really had to kind of 
it was a big transition, right? It was a time when I really had to kind of look around and find out what else could we be doing because my kids need something different now. Well, I'm glad I'm not the only one, but it's definitely, it weighs on my mind. So if anybody wants to talk about middle school, I am all in for conversations about middle school. (laughs) We can obsess about that for days. Yeah. So the only other thing I had on my list, and you can tell me if you had something else on your list, was talking about how to evaluate your homeschooler, right? Yes. I think this is a great topic. Yeah. Because if you're going through any kind of transition, whether you're, you know, one school year to the next, whether you're considering traditional school or another variety, another type of homeschool, um, you know, you want to know, you want to be able to evaluate them and say, what do they need? What are they good at? What are their strengths? What are the, maybe the holes that we have? And first of all, my experience with homeschoolers has been, you know, testing is very scary for a lot of people. Um, standardized testing, even more so. And I'm talking the parents, not the students. Right. It can be scary for the students too, but first we have to get over the hump of it totally freaking out the parents. Um, And I'm a fan of the annual standardized test, but I don't think that it always successfully measures what you want to evaluate in your homeschool. I don't think it's the only evaluative tool that a homeschooler wants to use. Absolutely. And and so what we would like to talk about is kind of testing and beyond, right? Because, I mean, there is such a focus on standardized testing in the outside world that it can be hard for us to think of other ways. You know, well, what, it, what makes sense for us to evaluate our students in other ways? You know, what do we have beyond testing? Um, so that's a really uh, a topic I think that a lot of people are, are well, our kids are always changing and always growing, and we kind of always want to know, how are they doing? How can I help? You know, what do we need to do next? Right. And, I mean, we ran into this. Suzanne and I are working on a side project where we were writing curriculum. And, of course, an important piece of a curriculum is evaluation. What do you use to see if your student's learning the material that you're covering? And we have had a lot of fun, but also run into a lot of challenges trying to figure out the best ways to create that system of evaluation. Right. And as a homeschooler, when you're looking at curriculum, that's something that you can kind of keep in your mind to check out, you know, check out about the curriculum. Does this, you know, how, how does this curriculum, does it give me ways to evaluate how my child is learning? What kind of rubric, what kind of checklist is it giving me? Is it just, oh, we'll take this multiple, you know, multiple choice test and see how many your kid gets right? Or does it have um, more detailed information, different ways that you can evaluate. And Um, ideally, you have a whole variety because just as important as seeing what your child is learning in a particular area is seeing how your child best demonstrates what she's learned across the board, right? What's your child's evaluation style? Yes. Yeah. And it's good to know that about yourself as you you go forward and and, and are evaluated many, many times. Yeah, and your if you have life. more than one child, you probably already know, just as I do, <laughs> that you cannot predict from one what the other one will do well with. I thought I, thought I knew so much after kid number one. I right. thought I was so smart. I have, I, I just have gotten stupid in a hurry as, 
I, I often say, I'm so glad I had my daughter first because she gave me confidence that I could homeschool, right? Because she right. was so she was so easy because she thought the way that I did that made it right. easy. And I'm glad I have my son because he <laughs> teaches he teaches me about homeschooling. He teaches me what I still need to learn. But if I had right. them in reverse order, I'm not sure that I would have been able to stick with it. <laughs> and you know what? That is okay too. <laughs> that yes, is also always a, a valid, valid option in life. Uh, well, so did we have anything else on our list of, of topics? No, but maybe our lovely listeners do. You could weigh in if there's something that we haven't talked about that you would love for us to talk about that we haven't thought of. Yes, please. Burning questions are always good. We will do our best to, to you know, we are back on the pod court, pod, wait, podcast <laughs> horse. That's what I was trying I to say. I hope that's not a terrible harbinger. <laughs> I can't talk and I keep coughing. But aside from that, we are back. Um, so, yeah. So hopefully we can get to your questions before your child actually graduates. Yes, we are. We are on it. We have a schedule and a plan and we have lists. We have so many lists. All the lists. All the lists. All right. So how are things going in your homeschool life? Amy. I'm the worst homeschool mom in the world. Is oh, how what? it's going. Why are you oh, the worst it's, I'm not. No one is ever the worst homeschool mom in the world, I oh, guess. I'm sure there's but one. <laughs> I, I definitely have that feeling. Um, you know, because I've I I'm helping out a little bit more at Jason's school. My husband has had some health problems this year. So I've picked up a couple of his classes to help him out, which I'm excited to do because I get to teach in the junior high with Suzanne, who's one of my favorite people. So now I get to hang out with Suzanne all day, two days a week. So that's awesome. But I also have to plan and teach the classes, (laughs) which is extra work. Um, So I'm just having trouble getting my rhythm. and the place where the place where my rhythm falters the most and the place where I'm the most likely to say, oh, let's put it off till next week or the place where I'm the most likely to kind of phone it in has has been with my own kids so far this year. And I'm not super proud of that, but I think acknowledging it is important. We all run into these spaces where life runs over us a little bit and our homeschool gets shorter shrift than we would like. Yes. And it's important to recognize it for what it is, but also to recognize that it's a season, that it's probably not as terrible as I think it is, that I'm probably not the worst homeschool mom in the world, and that we'll get it back together. Um, and it's a good year for that, right? Because my daughter's doing more independent stuff. She's getting ready for her senior year next year. So she doesn't need me as much. And my son is kind of at this really transitional stage. He's trying out a couple of classes at the junior high that where Suzanne teaches. He likes her as a teacher much better than he likes me, Suzanne was saying. <laughs> um, and so he's he's trying that out, but he's a little young for them. So it's not for sure that that's going to work out. And we're still working on some things. A lot of our homeschool time now is how to do well in class. We're practicing handwriting. We're practicing taking notes. Right. We're practicing how do you study for a test. We're practicing how do you do homework. Because he has never had homework before. Because Right. You don't really give homework in homeschool, right? You just sit there and you That's do it the and then you're done. Of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think too, when you have some really big transitions coming up, I, I'm one of my tendencies is to kind of freeze up, right? Because yeah. I can see them, they're coming. Of course, I usually freeze up about three years ahead of time because I'm. Because you're I'm an overachiever. <laughs> 
that's right. I try to get ahead of the game. So, so and you have some big transitions coming up. You have a, a kid maybe heading off to college. You've got the big yeah. middle school transition. So, you know, and I've got the same thing with my crew. Um, just to let you know where I am as a, a homeschool mom, uh, my oldest is in his third year of college. I don't have to worry about him anymore, which is good because he doesn't text, he doesn't call, he doesn't write. Um, but he seems to be doing fine. And uh, my kid number two is in her senior year of high school, so she's heading off to college. Yay. Uh, we have that big, giant trans- transition coming up. Uh, kid number three is a sophomore at the public high school. And then my youngest, who attends the junior high that Amy and I teach at, will be trying the public high school as a ninth grader next year. Yeah. So, in fact, next week, um, <clears throat> excuse me, he'll be doing the middle school tour with all the other, I mean, you know, for rising ninth graders. And then it'll only be a month or so until we register him for classes. So, so again, traditionally, this is where I would be just completely frozen up and probably unable to speak. But um, he is kid number four. We've done this with all four. So I seem to be functioning okay. But gosh, I know it's always about transitions when you're a parent. Yeah. But it does feel like a big year. Well, it is a big year because this will be, I, I mean, if, if the school goes well this will be your last year as a homeschool mom you'll still be a homeschool teacher I know I won't I won't be able to get the the jury duty exemption anymore (laughs) that's the main no that will be I have kind of avoided thinking about that and partly that's because I get to still keep teaching at the school hopefully and I get to hang out with the students and feel like a homeschooler oh I have to tell you a story I got a survey as uh you know from an organization that knows a bunch of homeschoolers and they, they sent me as, Hey, we'd like to learn more about homeschoolers and how they use our programs. So they sent me this, you know, this very academic survey and there were all these, you know, pages of this is what the information is going to be used for. And this is what you, who you ask about it and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, Oh, sure. I'll answer a survey. And I clicked on the very first question, which was um, on average, how many hours a week does your homeschool student spend on homeschool activities? And I entered a number and I got an error back saying they would, that they could only accept 12 or less. <laughs> like, wow, I think, I think my feelings are hurt a little bit. I mean, really? That's what now, of course it was a mistake. Right, I, right. That's funny. I though. have, I have to think that, um, that maybe it was like how many hours per day or something. And then somebody changed the question. But anyway, I emailed the the people doing the survey and said, Hey, I think there might be a mistake in your first question. I'm not taking it personally that that's, you know, what you think of homeschoolers and how much work they do. Ha ha ha. And they sent me an email back saying, um, Oh, thanks for letting us know. And then later on, I got a link to a new survey. It said, Yes, we are so glad. We thought homeschoolers would be eager to engage with our survey, and you have proved us correct. So thanks to the many of you. Wow. <laughs> so apparently I wasn't the only one to write in and say, excuse me, but. <laughs> Changing the world one online survey at a time. We're trying. We're doing our best. Uh, so have you had a chance to read anything lately? Well, you know I read the book that you have been recommending. So. So this fall, I was having a hard fall. Um, everybody was having a hard. I mean, it was a hard everybody, fall. Everybody, 
it was a hard fall. And, and I came I think, in yes. to work one day, to the school one day, and I said, Suzanne, you need to give me a book to read. You need to tell me a book to read that is just going to make me happy, that is going to be satisfying, and that's going to make me feel like everything in the world is okay, and it's going to be okay, and I'm going to close it, and I'm going to feel like I'm all right. And she said, I read just the book. <laughs> Yes. Um, now, mostly I'm reading, you know, right now I'm reading because we're doing a class on World War II. I'm reading a lot about Mussolini and the Spanish <laughs> Civil War and Hitler. Which is but not it wasn't so any of those books. It wasn't any of those books. It's called uh, Space Opera by Catherine Valente. And you may have already heard me sing the praises of Catherine Valente. Sometimes I call her Cat because I follow her on Twitter and we're kind of, you know, I mean, she doesn't follow me, but I follow her. So we're kind of close like that. Right. Um, I sing her praises. Her series, the Fairyland series that starts with the girl who um, circumnavigated Fairyland in a ship of her own making, has knocked the Narnia Chronicles um, out of the number one, my number one favorite fantasy series of all time. I, wow. I've loved, I haven't read everything she's written, but well, I have loved everything. Prolific. She is. She's, she's, it's great. She just had a baby. You know, I know these things because I follow her on Twitter right. and we're close. And this is um, a little creepy, Susan. <laughs> I can't help it. It's such a cute baby. Um, and, but she's, I have loved everything that I've read by her. I just love her style. I love every sentence that I come across. And space opera is so much fun. Apparently, it came from a challenge one day. She was talking about, uh, or she had watched the Eurovision contest, um, which if you're not familiar with that, because, you know, we're in America, that is the oldest, uh, gosh, international song contest. Um, I actually looked it up and it's been around since 1956, which I had no idea. Um, but it's all the countries of Europe. And I think Australia as an honorary member, uh, have a representative with an with a a um a new song an original song and they go head to head and there's uh it's a big event it's you know i mean kind of like american idol or something like that um it's a big event where they you know there's a winner and did you know amy that two previous winners of the eurovision contest were abba and celine dion i did not know that i feel that my world has been rocked I, I, I don't know what to do with that information, but it's good information. Right. <laughs> um, so it's, I don't know. She may need that at some point. Um, so anyway, I think someone was joking around and saying, hey, you should write a science fiction novel to Catherine Valente about the Eurovision contest. And she was said, challenge accepted. And she wrote this awesome book where it turns out the galaxy is populated by different kinds of beings too weird to understand or explain they're everywhere and as you might imagine you know we they have trouble if you're faced with a being that doesn't look like you you have trouble uh understanding whether that creature is sentient or not right so the galaxy had gone through what's called the the sentience wars where basically they all fought with each other over who is sentient? Because that's kind of the bar that you set. If you're sentient, then your planet shouldn't be exterminated for, you know, a new highway right. or to all that kind of stuff, right? And um, it turns out 
that the conclusion that they've come to, that the best way to establish sentience is to have a song contest. Right. As anyone who's ever played the Wii Rock Band ga- game can appreciate, right? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it, it sounds absurd and it is absurd. It's a very funny book. It's very silly in places. No, you know what it is? It's Douglas Adams-esque. And nothing that anybody ever tells you is like Douglas Adams is actually like Douglas Adams, except for this not, book. Yeah. <laughs> this book no, is the would... exception. I get nervous when I see a comparison to Douglas Adams on the cover because I'm like, oh, there's no way it can live up to that expectation. Well, because you said but, that, I actually waited an extra week to pick it up because I was so worried I would just be disappointed. I and I wasn't I at all. And she's not. So, so much of the stuff that's, that, that they say, oh, it's like Douglas Adams. It sounds derivative. It feels like somebody's trying to copy Douglas Adams. She is not. She is doing her own thing. But it has that same kind of joy and silliness and just you follow the sentence to the end and you just and you just love it. But among all this silliness, she's saying some really what I found to be really powerful and hopeful things about life. Right. right. She's, first of all, the problem is. Um, well, anyway, so the, the song contest, the creatures have come to Earth. Right. It is our time. We're getting we're getting more important. We're getting more dangerous out there in the galaxy. So it's time for us to prove our sentience. And uh, so we have to participate in the song contest and people take offense at that. They're like, you know, what do you mean? We have to pre- clearly, obviously we're sentient and they make some, you know, the, the, uh, the aliens make some good points, right? We can't even decide to treat other human beings as sentient always right. on this planet. So what is the galaxy supposed to think about that? Um, and then one of my other favorite things is, look, any test for sentience is going to be arbitrary and weird. And let's just have a song contest because why not? It's as good as anything else. Um, and when the when the aliens come, it turns out they're not big fans of the Beatles or Bach or... Um, <laughs> anybody that we might think that we would put up. As... Right, they've come with their own list of bands that they think would be good competitors because they're they're kind and generous, right? They've listened to Earth's music and they know what what's not going to sell with the judging panel. That's right. They, they want to help us out and they end up, it's said a little bit in the future, so there's some names in there that you'll recognize and there's some, and, and um they they want to help us out by by telling us that our best bet is a band a glam rock um think david bowie like at the most glamorous and wonderful maybe not quite as bright as david bowie but but think is the most absurd glam rock out of control genderqueer wonderful craziness um, and of course the band is, is broken up and has tragedy and trauma and they have to, they have to get the band back together to save earth. Yes. Um, to travel across the galaxy to save earth. To travel across the galaxy to save, to save earth. And I loved it and I loved every minute of it and everybody should read it. It's and- hopeful and hilarious and sad in all the ways that make you feel yeah. good. I mean, it's. It yeah. is a glorious, glorious read. I, It was exactly what I wanted. I asked Suzanne for this book, and she told me what to read, and she was 100% absolutely right. It was the book I needed. Yeah. So 
We highly recommend Space Opera by Catherine Valente. Yes. If you want to follow her on Twitter and see her cute baby, that is also. Not least because it has a red panda who's obsessed with Yoko Ono, a time-traveling multidimensional red panda who's obsessed with Yoko yes. Ono. Which is wonder. I mean, I, I can't wait to see the movie, frankly. Is there going to be a movie? I, I don't think there's going to be a movie. It's but wouldn't that be great? Be movie eyes. I mean, they made Guardians of the Galaxy into a movie, and they have a talking raccoon in a tree. That's so. true. But so we can hold out hope for the for the red panda. Did you see? This is un, sort of related uh, that they're adapting the His Dark Materials trilogy, which I loved. Um, I know, yes. I know you were you did not love the last book. Um, I I have so many complaints about the last book. I but I feel like it's a subversive feminist retelling of Paradise Lost, and for that reason, I will read it all day. But I also had to read <laughs> Paradise Lost seven times in my academic life, so I couldn't. I was biased. not a lit major, so. <laughs> well, I'm but Lin Manuel Miranda is attached to it. Suzanne. And I will watch anything that has Lynn manuel Miranda because I also follow him on Twitter, so we're close. Yeah. Um, uh, that is exciting, but what I am waiting for every single day is to learn what date Good Omens is going <gasps> to drop on Amazon Prime. Me too. You know, I, I added it to our spring curriculum as a book club yeah. option because I was like, oh, I'm getting on this train. <laughs> That's right. And if you have not read Good Omens, I mean, heck, that actually goes along really well with space opera in that it is funny, um, but serious, but thoughtful, but mostly funny. It's the collaboration, uh, Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman, um, about the end of the world, the Antichrist. A comedy about the end of the world. A comedy. And uh, yeah, yeah, David Tennant plays the demon crowley right yes and michael and sheen i think is osriel the, the angel that's right and i have an enormous crush on david Tennant, so i will also watch anything that he's in well francis um, mcdormand is playing god and i have an enormous <laughs> girl crush on francis mcdormand so i am there so yeah so that's you know they we know it's coming out sometime in 2019 i don't think i haven't looked today but i don't think they've announced the release date so we i won't you can't talk to me once it comes out because i will be busy watching that now have you caught up on the good life yet speak not the good life the good place place, um i'm up i caught up to the season break but i haven't watched the post season break but i don't know that i will do it super soon because then i have to wait an entire year right i want to spread it out as much as i can right right i mean they have been renewed for the next season so we know there will be more but um, I will warn you that the season finale will uh, rip out your, you know, heart and jump up and down on it a few times. Okay, In the well, I'm not ready way. for that. Yeah, no, nobody ever is. <laughs> but I'm sure it'll be okay. I'm sure it'll be fine. They and reset things a lot. That's what I'm going to hold on to. So whatever bad happens, yes. they reset things a lot. Yes, they do. They do. So they anyways, also, those are their they're also getting up to existentialism. So maybe. <laughs> if I know you have to see, you have to write the curriculum that we need to read because Amy keeps coming in and saying, Oh, did you see the episode where they, and then they transition into this. I'm like, I don't know. I just know whatever Chidi says. And that's yeah. Well, in all fairness, whatever Chidi says is a great life philosophy. 
Yes. With the exception of the weird, creepy, chilly incident. Well, he 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 was broke. I, he, they it broke was his him. existential crisis. I respect. He was he was broken. Um, yeah, so we can all sit around and watch The Good Place and Good Omens and his dark materials and and read space opera. Read our and... book for the next episode because oh yes yes what are we going to read next time? We are going to read the Time Traveler's Almanac, a time travel anthology. It's a collection of short stories edited by two of your faves, Anne Vandermeer yes. and Jeff Vandermeer. Uh, who are the collectors of the weird, which I know is your thing. But this, these stories right. are all related to science fiction. And they have Douglas Adams in it and Connie Willis and all kinds of interesting people. Asimov. It should be a really fun collection to peruse. That's right. We we looked at it. We actually saw that it was on sale at the, on the Kindle, which is yeah. exciting. Yeah. Um, I am a huge fan of Jeff Vandermeer. He's he's mostly a writer. He wrote the uh, Area X uh, trilogy, the first one, Annihilation. That was actually I just saw the movie version. It's really good in some ways, and 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 less good in other ways. But um, if you are looking to dive into the weird as a genre, you would do you could do worse than start there. Um, his wife Anne is a well-known anthologist. I've loved every anthology I've read that's been curated by her. So I look forward to finding out what they've got in the Time Traveler's Almanac. I'm wondering, it'll be fun to go see. There are some classic science fiction time travel stories, right? Mm -hmm. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, if they have the classics in there, if this is kind of some of the new stuff that I haven't read, you know, I'm really curious to see what choices they make. It should be a fun read. And if you want to read it along with us, feel free. Short stories are perfect because you can pick it up and read a few, even if you don't get through the whole thing. That's right. And I'm getting, I'm using them more and more in homeschool curriculum also. Um, Cause it's so much less of a commitment to ask a student to make. Um, so you can do a lot more, try a lot more things, kind of dip your toe and uh, a lot of different genres, a lot of different authors and, and discover stuff that you may not have realized how much you'd enjoy. And I think that condensed for, for teaching, I think that condensed format is really useful because you get the whole story in one. So you can really spend time tracing the plot arc, right? The Right. Right. It's, it's the, it lends itself well to analysis. Yes. Right. Um, and especially if it's, if it's stuff that you're just practicing with, right. You're just beginning. Okay. Let's identify, you know, uh, the characters, the, the antagonist, the protagonist, the setting, the arc, the plot arc, you know, it, it lends itself really well to doing beginning analysis. I love short stories. Never enough short stories. <laughs> Never enough. <laughs> So I guess that wraps it up for episode 14 of the podcast with Suzanne and Amy. Join us next time for more conversation about all the places where home, school, and life intersect. And it won't be such a long break between episodes. So we'll see you soon.